Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that you inspired it as Paul wrote it. And we pray, Father, that we might hear you speak to us this morning. You might inspire us afresh as we look at these words of Paul. So, Father, thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Jill and I, and I think quite a few others, quite like the writings of uh, Adrian Plass. He's a Christian writer, and he makes us laugh, he makes us think, and normally he makes, draws us closer to Jesus. And one of his early books was The Sacred Diary of Adrian Plass, aged 37 and three quarters. And one is, is fictitious, it just looks at the idiosyncrasies of church life. And one particular incident is a Sunday morning service where the leader or the preacher, I'm not quite sure which, is trying to encourage the, uh, the congregation to get involved with this thought of eternity. And he's sort of saying, you know, we all know where we're going, don't we? Where are we going? And a wag at the back says, Mallorca. <laughs> so I'm going to thought this morning we might try a bit of um, audience participation. Now this could backfire. The answer is not Mallorca. What is the key word of the Philippian letter? Good, I'll sit down now. That's good. Okay, first slide. Just wonder why was Paul so joyful as he thought about the Philippians? There is a key word. A key word is joy. He talks about it either joy or rejoice 16 times. In Philippians 4.1, he says, you are my joy, my crown. In Philippians 1.4, he says, I pray with joy for your partnership in the gospel. Why was Paul so joyful writing? What is the source of his joy when he writes to the Philippians? The answer, actually, I think is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, which you needn't turn to. Slide 2, please. Paul, when he writes to the Philippians, uh, writes about the Philippians, he says, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. And it's very interesting. Every letter that Paul writes, Philippians, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Thessalonians, every letter he writes, he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Every letter, grace fills his mind. And he's seen that God has given grace to the Philippian church. He was amazed at God's grace. Christianity is not a religion of do. It's a faith of done. What Christ has done for us. He's died to give forgiveness for the past. He's, risen, he's been raised so that we can have fellowship with him in the present. And he's ascended so that we can have eternity with him. Not in Mallorca, but in heaven. Amazing grace. So what is it particularly that has made Paul so joyous when he th thinks about the Philippians? And I think it's because he has seen God's grace at work 
in them. God's grace. These letters, this is great for me because these are quite simple words. I'm a simple guy. They're not great words of theology because I'm not a theologian. John here at the front is the theologian. But they're very personal. They're very intimate. But they give us an idea of the source or the grounds for Paul's joy. So slide three. This is where we're going this morning. Next slide, please. We're going to observe the outworking of God's grace both in the Philippians and in Paul. That's where we're going. Just to frighten you, there are three points on both of those things. So when we get to point six, you know we've nearly finished. Okay, no sleeping, please. So next slide, please. We begin by looking at the outworking of God's grace amongst the Philippians. Sorry, I'm going very dry. All the excitement and nervousness. Verse 10. I greatly rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned but have not had the opportunity to show it. First concern. Next slide, please. Is their concern... For Paul, it sounds as if he might almost be telling them off. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern. That is not the tone of the verse. If we go again back to 2 Corinthians, it talks about the Macedonian church, it talks about the Philippians, it talks of their severe trial and their extreme poverty. That's why they hadn't been able to renew their concern for Paul before this. Again, I haven't delved into what that severe trial was. Another one to ask John about. But Paul was saying, I know you're concerned about me, and I know you're concerned for the gospel, that you've been prevented by other things of showing that concern. But now, they're going to show their concern. They were concerned. They're going to show their concern in two ways. So next slide, please. They send a gift of a person and they send a gift of money. The person is called Epaphroditus. We learned about him in chapter 2. He's described as a fellow worker, a fellow soldier, a messenger. He'd come to take care of Paul's needs. Talks about him that he nearly died for the sake of Christ. Chapter 2, verse 30. So the Philippians show this practical concern for Paul by sending Epaphroditus. This is not audience participation, but does anybody know how far it is to go from Philippi to Rome? 800 miles. By British Rail, that would be quite quick. But they're talking probably about six weeks travel. So this guy, Epaphroditus, for six weeks, is coming to show the Philippians concern. So it's not only sending a person, they also send a gift of money. Verse 16, it talks about them sending aid again and again. Verse 15 talks about they being the only church who shared in giving and receiving. Signs of God's grace Paul is joyful because he sees God's grace working out in these people. 
They're concerned for him, and they're practically concerned for him. But in good evangelical tradition, there is a third point. Next slide, please. And it talks about their sacrificial living bringing pleasure to God. There's two pictures there. Verse 18. I have received full payment. I'm amply supplied. Now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice. These are pictures of Old Testament worship. Pictures of worship. People of responding in thanksgiving to what God had done. Signs of dedication to God. So yes, they're helping Paul by coming, they're helping Paul with money, but most of all they're doing this out of love and worship for Christ. God's grace had brought them closer to the Lord Jesus, closer to God the Father. They wanted to give their lives as pleasing offerings in this service of Paul. Paul was excited because God's grace was transforming their lives. So we see the outworking of God's grace in the Philippians. But now, part two, the outworking of God's grace in Paul. And again, very good evangelical tradition in three ways. Verses 11 and 12. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, about them renewing their concern, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. Those words, I have learned to be, con I have learned the secret, is apparently the pagan mystics often use that phrase in their initiation ceremonies. And so I think Paul's being perhaps a bit sarcastic. Actually, he'd found the real secret of being content. He's learned the secret of being content. So, another slide, sorry. A couple of thoughts about contentment. It's not a case, I don't think, necessarily, of just uh, saying, Lord, I want to be content. Help make me content. The word that is used is learnt. I've learnt, twice there he says it, Something that has to be learned. And the learning implies applying your mind to something. You don't suddenly say, oh good, this morning I can speak Mandarin. You have to learn it. You don't suddenly say, oh good, I can swim. Well, I can't, but you know, for those that can, you have to learn it. I think learning to be content is a process. You're not discontented today and contented tomorrow. It's not just simply praying, Lord, I want to be content. So how did Paul learn the secret of being content? How do you learn a language? You learn from a teacher. How did Paul learn? He learned from the master. He was a very religious Jew. He saw the promises about the Messiah in the Old Testament. He probably heard from the other apostles things that Jesus said. 
about the same time as Paul's writing this, Matthew is writing his gospel, which is a tremendous collection of teaching of Christ. He's just soaked up all this, all this knowledge about Jesus, what he said. And he's blown away by it. He's gripped by it. He obeys it. He's trusted it. And he said, I found the secret of being content, being close to Jesus, seeing how great he is, bringing contentment. Philip Yancey, I don't know if he's talking about himself. Philip Yancey, great Christian writer, American guy. He talks about either himself or somebody else wanted to learn German. But he was really struggling to learn until he fell in love with a German girl. And I think perhaps sometimes we don't learn the secret of being content in Christ because perhaps we haven't fallen in love with him enough. The more he learned of Christ, the more content he came. That didn't mean, though, because he learned that secret, it didn't mean that it was something it was something that can be experienced in every situation, in all circumstances, in every situation. What's the opposite of content? I suppose it's discontent. I quite like the word dis disturb. My football team wins, I'm content. No reference to West Ham, no. My t football team loses, and I'm discontent. I get a good medical report, I'm content. I get a bad medical report, I'm disturbed. Financial, if they're in good shape, I'm content. If they're in a bad state, I'm disturbed. Job situation, relationship. If they're going well, we're content. If they're going badly, we're disturbed. Interesting here that Paul talks about being content in need and in plenty. He'd learnt that. You often think that perhaps you're only discontent when things aren't going well. But almost an implication here that even when things are going well, you can be discontent. In all circumstances, he was content in Christ. Learning from the Master. And he'd learnt... Slide 11. The next one, please. He learnt about the all-sufficient strength of Christ. Verse 13. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Now, this is a verse that is very often misquoted. It doesn't mean I can juggle 14 balls in the air. It doesn't mean to say I can speak 14 languages. It doesn't mean to say I can swim the channel because Christ with me. It's misquoted. The context here is he was in need. Sometimes not in need, sometimes in need. But he had learned that Christ would enable him to cope through his strength within him in whatever situation. What grace! This is why he's joyful. Contentment by learning from Christ, content by the strength given by Christ. And finally, just 
one more working, next slide please, of the outworking. He realized the riches available in Christ. Verse 19, and my God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. I might be stretching it a bit here, but it's quite interesting that the previous verse, he talks about their giving of themselves. They're a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And he then goes on to say, my God will meet all your needs in Christ Jesus. And I just wonder if Paul's thinking went, as he was thinking about fragrant offerings and acceptable sacrifices, I wonder if Paul's thinking went to another, if, another offering, the offering of an innocent Christ, or whether he went to another sacrifice acceptable to God at Calvary. Did he see afresh God's grace given to him, given to us all. I started with a verse from 2 Corinthians 8. Let's perhaps almost close now. Not exactly, but almost close. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became poor. He became poor for our sakes. He became poor so that through his poverty we might become rich. It's a tremendous picture, isn't it? He then says, my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches. That's God's grace. That's quite exciting. That's why the Philippian letter is joyous. Um, I wonder if the group could take shape, please. Because um, I just wondered, really, thinking about this, how do we respond? Because I suspect that perhaps our experience isn't quite the same as St. Paul's, really. But I just, as I was thinking about this, I went back to what Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, write to, wrote to every church. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was overjoyed as he saw Christ's grace at work in the Philippians and in himself. And I just wonder if Christ, through his Holy Spirit, is saying to us in 2021 in Surbiton, grace and peace to you from me and from my son. Grace and peace. God wants us to draw closer to him. I think sometimes you can read passages in scripture, just talking with John about this this morning, you can read and you can sometimes feel quite, um, you look in at yourself and you think, oh, I failed so much. And I think the lesson that Paul is here, we do fail, don't we? We all fail. But I think he wants us to look away from ourselves and look at the grace of God. Grace and peace to you. Draw closer to Christ. Get to know him better.
And they're going to sing a great song based on some words of Paul to the Philippians. And so it may be as we sing this or in the moments before we sing it, you might just like to say, perhaps some of you want to say thank you. That you've seen the richness of God's grace to you. Or perhaps you want to say sorry because you've perhaps lost sight of that love for Christ that you used to have, I used to have. Or other things have begun to take first place. Or perhaps you want to say, please, Lord, work afresh in me. Draw me closer to Jesus. Or perhaps with people that you know that you'd love to see them drawn closer to Jesus. The chorus of this song says, Knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there's no greater thing. You're my all, you're the best, you're my joy, my righteousness, and I love you, Lord. I hope as we sing that, you can echo that. I can echo it. It's easy to sing it on a Sunday morning, but do you get up tomorrow morning? Do we say, I love you, Lord? Jill was praying with her mum a couple of weeks, sorry, a couple of weeks ago. And Jill's mum just said, I love you, Lord. Fantastic. Not going through great times, but I love you, Lord.